Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey guys, it's Sarah here. I just want to quickly flag that in today's interview with Claire Dubois, we do cover off some fairly heavy stuff around sexual abuse. Now, if that's something you're not comfortable with listening to, then what I do recommend is that you skip ahead to around about the 10-minute mark and then it continues on to some good, juicy, important stuff. Climate change is the gauntlet that we have created to lay down to ourselves to say, are you going to discover what you're made of? Hi, I'm Sarah Wilson and this is Wild, a podcast about living a more beautiful and fired-up life. Here we will continue my 10-year nomadic journey living out of one bag in search of more connection, more awakeness, less consuming, less loneliness and less bloody scrolling. I'll be inviting you to join me in finding better ways to radically love and save our one wild and precious life on this planet. About six months ago, my friend Nick sent me a link to an interview with Claire Dubois because he reckoned she talks your language, Sarah. I'd never heard of Claire and it was a super long interview on some deeply esoteric podcast but I actually listened to the full two hours and I was moved to my viscera from the moment she launched her gloriously fired-up, inspired riff. Claire talks a profoundly wild idea that, yes, Nick, you're right, I very much like to speak to, and it's this. We are about to send ourselves, as a species, extinct. No one is going to come and save us, but trees might just. So who is Claire? I'm the founder of Tree Sisters and I am a troublemaking, edge-walking activist, poetess and creatress with a deep abiding love of our natural world. She's a British entrepreneur and former business coach who now lives in California. She's a global leader in arguing that our salvation can be led by business, by embedding trees into every financial transaction. Indeed, she argues that trees can fix many things and that they can teach us how to be human again. Yep, I'm on that page too. She talks in very long river analogies, me too, and she also cries a lot from the recognition of it all. Ditto. I'll just flag that she refers to a few terms throughout the talk that I might just quickly explain now. So there's Gaia, which just means earth. 
She also mentions the Koji, who are the Indigenous peoples of the Sierra Nevada mountains in northern Colombia. Anyway, let's get into it. Claire Dubois, welcome to Wild. Thank you very much. You've got a epically wild, edge-walking uh, life story, and I'm wondering if you would mind telling us a little bit about it to kick off with. And I know you've credited your arrival into this space um, to your relationship with your father, but not in the way most people might think. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Wow. You're one of those that's going to go straight in at the deep end. For the jugular. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't warn me about that, did you, woman? Um, Well, I mean, okay, so I'll just frame this in the esoteric way that you don't want me to do, which is that I see things as, I don't see anything as coincidental and I don't see anything as without cause and nor do I see anything without purpose. And so those people that decide to arrive into an extraordinarily difficult life situation, I think it's because there is purpose to it, there is meaning to it, and the recovery from it carries within it the seed of Uh, some form of unleashing or some form of um, personal transformation within which there is benefit to more than them. Yeah. And so, yeah, I had a disastrous relationship with my father. I mean, he was frighteningly a headmaster who was, uh, he was a pedophile, an alcoholic, a philanderer, a philanderer, um, a misogynist, a roaring hater of women who basically pretended I didn't exist for the first three months of my life and then spent the rest of the time trashing me. And um, significant physical bodily harm, significant uh, emotional harm. And uh, I grew up not thinking that being a woman was safe, not, not having any relationship with my femininity, um, being terrified of myself, um, being sort of straight-jacketed by fears and beliefs and internalized dominance patterning what that had me domin- dominate and override myself in every way because I didn't know anything else. Um, and, and that didn't stop there, really. I mean, I continued with my own profoundly unhealthy relationship with men until I discovered that that was not actually normal, which we all get to eventually. But then I was sent off to an all-girls boarding school where I was mercilessly bullied because I was so kind of trampled by the violence that I'd come from. Um, By the time I got to boarding school, I was just the ultimate target because I couldn't speak properly and I was all my spatial awareness had gone and I couldn't defend myself. And so I was the weakling that got, you know, the delights of how young girls can be when they try to gang up on you, which we all know, those of us that have been bullied by women, just how lovely that is. And so I lost all faith in, um, in women as well. So when I had the car crash that gave me Tree Sisters, and this was 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, um, and I had been in Southern India working for an agroforestry initiative um, 
had fallen in love with this social strategy that saw them trying to basically gather, you know, 167 million people together to reforest their uh, their state, which was becoming desertified. I'd fallen in love with it. And I'd been distilling the social strategy and I'd come back to the UK and I was looking for somebody to pick up this idea of a reforestation revolution. You know, like how do we get everybody, the grassroots, to fully take responsibility for the restoration of nature? And I I was looking for that person and it was on the way to a communications meeting where I was going to hand over my strategy and hand over everything that I'd learned in India and all this like seven point thing that I distilled that was why this would work and how they could do it. And I, and I got about, I don't know, 100 yards away from my house, swerved on ice, headed for an edge and crashed into a tree. And the tree literally stopped me going over an edge, which is like this perfect metaphor for, you know, reforestation, stopping humanity going, going over an edge. And it took me about four years to actually realize the metaphor. So life must have been going, oh, for God's sake, she's so slow. What else do we have to um, do to get this <laughs> message through her head? Grammar <laughs> into a tree, you know, like, God, she's slow. Anyway, um, at the point of impact, inside the car, there's this flash of white light and there's two words, the experiment, literally hovering right in front of my nose. And I'm looking at these two words and this male voice starts talking as if somebody turned the radio on in my car. And it said, humanity is running out of time, but it's not over yet. It's going to take all of you rising to the challenge to get through what's coming. The single greatest threat facing humanity is fear of failure but you can get over fear of failure by calling everything you do an experiment because you can only, you can't fail an experiment. You can only learn. And even wrapped around a tree, I thought this was brilliant. And I said, well, what's the experiment? And back came, you have to reforest the tropics within 10 years. At which point my life flashes before my eyes. I see everything that's got me to that point. I then, I then am shown everything that's to come. And I see myself on stage, a global leader, blah, 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 being the front of a huge charity. Uh, bear in mind at that point, I'm a total introvert. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a healer who does work in my back room. You know, I've never worked for an organization. I can barely function on a computer. I've never worked inside of a team. And I've got this future that's being shown to me. And I'm like, you've got to be absolutely kidding me. At which point, the voice continues and it starts to say, you have to mobilize the women. The women are the missing piece. The women are the womb carriers and earth is womb. Women understand the cycles of life and death. It happens in their bodies every month. Women and nature share a common history. What's been done to one has been done to the other. Feminine consciousness is the consciousness of seasons, of cycles, of health, of well-being on the planet, blah, 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 all of this stuff. Then your project is called Tree Sisters. It's a crowdfunding mechanism. You have to make it as normal to give back to nature as it currently is to take nature for granted. Blah, blah, blah. All this like, you know, take dictation. And then it ends with women have to remember who and what they are. Feminine consciousness has to be reinstated or it's over. End of transmission. This is all while you're sitting in the car. Like it was, mo no, at this point I'd got out of the car and I was gathering bits of car and I was walking back up the road, crying, carrying bits of car home, listening to the same voice going, blah, 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 blah. And I, you know, I couldn't switch it off. Like I wasn't. And, and then most annoying thing about it was everything it was saying made complete sense to me. Mm. You know, it was like, and people have said to me afterwards, do you think? Do you think that was an external voice? Do you think that came from inside you? You know, do you think that was all always there inside you? And it was like, 
I have no idea. Like, who knows where these voices come from? It's pissed me off forever that it was a male. You know, it's just like, okay, am I going to sit here and do what I'm told again? But actually, you know, I love, I love, I love men. I genuinely mm. love men. I also love the symbolism that you were carrying bits of sort of a symbol of consumer culture, parts of your car as you're getting these messages, you know, the feminine getting her big wake-up call carrying a car, you know. Dead, dead car bits. And I get home and I ring my husband whose car I'd just written off and I was just like, Alex, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to be there in time because he was already in London and he was just like, why are you crying? And I'm like, I've crashed your car. And... uh were you all right? Yes. Why are you crying? Because I've got to reforest the traffics within 10 years. And I, I can't do it. And he went completely silent. And then he just said, well, somebody's got to do it. I mean, that was the culmination of things. But if we go back to, I guess, you being a kid, and um, my understanding is that you suffered quite terrible internal um, and external injuries from that experience with your father from a very young age. Um, and that this went on for quite some time. Um, but I know that at some point you you have said to yourself, and I don't know whether it came from the car crash or earlier, but you could either bow to fear or you could choose to love life and that the love that you're talking of was the love of planet. Did that happen sort of earlier? You've really done your research, haven't you? I am um, that kind of person, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling well nailed in this moment. Um, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, that's a daily, that's a daily choice. Hmm. Because there's not a day, it's not like you take an introvert and you turn them into an extrovert. I'm not an extrovert out on the global stage. Like every time I first time I got on stage, it was like four days of vomiting and diarrhea beforehand, you know, and it's only reduced by then. It my husband was saying a couple of years ago in Rome, you walked away from the lectern. Like you were, you know, your leg, your knees were not knocking so strongly. You could actually walk away from the lectern. I was like, I know I found my feet and I could walk without falling over. And I didn't forget what, it, you know, like I don't find this easy, but I have made a choice to hand my life over. Look, I want to get to the wild idea that I guess struck me when I first heard you speak. And it's this idea that we're about to send ourselves extinct. Those tipping points are coming, if not already starting to tip. No one is going to come and save us, but trees might just be able to. So I might unpack it bit by bit. The first bit being this idea that, you know, the sixth extinction is upon us. And I think you've spoken to some Indigenous leaders who've talked about 2026, um, climate scientists, put it potentially in the next sort of 100 years, um, depending on what your definition of humanity is and the human experience, you know. We, we probably will continue to live, but will it be the same experience? Um, how, no. how, well, yeah, I was going to ask you, how, how do you cope with this? What are your feelings on it? Um, yeah, what's, what's, what's your take on this idea that we're close? I... Trust indigenous people more than I trust scientists. Right. Yeah. Okay. Why is that? That's that's not to say that I don't value science, because science is measuring what is so and what is so is not a hundred years out. It's not fifty years out. It's not ten years out. And they know it. They know it. 
why I trust indigenous people is because they, some of them, not all of them, what we've done to the native people in our country, this, I, God, I'm not American. In America, in the USA, um, has been, and equally Australia, you know, we've, we have done so much extraordinary damage to the indigenous peoples of these mighty continents that many of them are not so deeply connected as they used to be because they're living with horrific trauma. And there are still those um, in the Amazon rainforests, in the Congo basin, who, you know, around the world, in Siberia, in, you know, Alaska, who do know how to live in right relationship with the natural world and who do experience their bodies as an extension of her and who do know how to listen to her and who do know how to change the weather and who do know how to manifest water from putting crystals in the earth and who do know that there is a way of being in relationship consciously with a conscious planet that can create a manifested reality that those of us that are dissociated have no concept of. So they both have the ability to communicate, the ability to commune, the ability to listen. So when I hear that indigenous leaders from tribes all over the world have gathered and completely separate from each other are saying they can't see past 2026, I listen because they were shocked that they equally, that they all had the same timeline. And what they saw before 2026 was catastrophic climate change. So what, what, what Indigenous cultures have arrived at this same sort of date? I wasn't there, so I'm not going to quote, but I know that initially the Kogi were there. I know there were um, Bushmen from the Kalahari. I know there, was, there were uh, people from, the, from Siberia. There were um, Native people from this continent. Um, I think there were up to 21 different leaders. Mm. I wasn't there, so I'm not, I'm not going to quote it well, but I, was, I know people who were there who have passed it on. And um, that, that, when I heard that, shocked the shit out of me. I mean, it shocked the shit out of me. And um, I've, I've, you know, the IPCC report, all the rest of it, they're all saying, oh, we've got 12 years. And then you hear other people say, well, they doctored it. They know we've got seven. You know, and that's, that, was, that was closer to the truth when, we, when that initially came out, whenever that was. That was the fifth report. Um, the sixth one doesn't mention anything along these lines. Um, and, in fact, what I should say is actually it was, a, it was a follow-up statement from the UN regarding those 12 years. But, look, regardless, I mean, and I agree, the IPCC report is a conservative take on everything because, of course, they have to get close to 200 governments around the world to sign off on it. So, but regardless, science, um, Indigenous takes on it, um, there is a palpable sense that, oh, my goodness, Everything that we took for granted, i.e. the continuation of humanity um, on this planet and... Seasons. That's your answer. You've jumped, to, yeah, you've jumped to what I'm trying to get to here is how do you cope? How, what's the logic that you work to? And I guess I want to get to the second part of, of that wild idea that no one is going to come and save us. And it takes me back to that, well, to the relationship with your father and the fact that you had to get over this idea of the victim consciousness. And I think, you know, this idea, this very patriarchal idea, if I can use that language, that daddy will come and fix it, that somebody else will come and fix it and somebody will save us. Somebody apart from me, I just need to continue consuming and just getting on with my life, but somebody out there will do it. Gosh, you've just 
that's so much that you've just said that I could go in so many different directions. Go where so, you need to go. Um, <laughs> Daddy sure as shit isn't going to save us. That's for sure. Daddy has been uh, running an, an economy that requires the death of nature and is in no fit, you know, has no desire whatsoever to transform that into something that's not going to lie in his pockets. So we can't look to Daddy, um, even though we seem to be, you know, electing strong men who are even more committed to destroying the planet faster than we can uh, decide that that might not be a good idea. Um, I met Barbara Marks Hubbard on an airplane, uh, having driven for about 10 hours through Colorado, having seen nothing but dead and dying trees. And I was sobbing my eyes out and sitting on this plane, completely incoherent, realised, I looked up and realised across the aisle from me is Barbara Marks Hubbard. Can you just explain to everyone who Barbara Marks who Hubbard she is? is? Yeah. She's, she's, she passed a few years ago now, but uh, I think 86. She was one of the planet's most luminary thinkers, uh, the head of uh, conscious evolution. She was extraordinary. Um, an author, an activist, um, a teacher of consciousness. And she woke up and she saw me and she like reached across and I was just like, Barbara! And she was like, you know, oh my God, you know, this is, this is destiny. And I was just like, I was crying. I was like, Barbara, I can't do it. I can't do it. The trees are all leaving. Like, I just can't, I can't do this. I can't keep my heart open. Like, this is too painful. And she, and she looked at me like these Barbara eyes that she's got. And she said, you have to find your intimacy with the evolutionary impulse. You have to find your intimacy with the evolutionary impulse. And I got this complete transmission of like, boof, oh, I'm taking it all personally. Okay, we're in this mammoth phase of change. And what if this is the crucible that we have created for our own emergence? You know, point of fact, we have no idea what we're capable of. I mean, put daddy out of the picture for a minute. We've been taught a human being is a consumer. That's not what we are. We've been taught women are you know, lesser beings, that's not what we are. We've been taught men are supposed to be like this. That's not what they are. We have got the DNA of every living species inside our so-called junk DNA. We have no idea what we're capable of. And when you spend time with indigenous people who have not been severed from their roots and their lineages and from their connection to life, they know, they know what's possible. What's difficult for me is to get my head around the reality that we might wake up in time to be able to actually drop the, set, the state of separation that we're in in order to be able to unify enough to be able to come into relationship with Gaia and work with her. But I also don't believe that the feminine would rise at the last minute when it's too late. Therefore, we simply cannot see. And when I've sat with Indigenous peoples and talked about this date of 100 of, of you know 2026. What some of them have said is we just can't see beyond. So we don't know what's coming. We don't know. We do know catastrophic climate change is coming. That is unavoidable, and yeah. they can see it. And it's already here. And why we think we've got any carbon budget left, and why we think we can get to two degrees when almost 1.5, we're pretty much. I live in a dying forest. I live in California. There are fires absolutely everywhere. We're in the worst drought in, you know, here in 1,200 a, years. Here in Australia, we're already at 1.44 above pre-industrial um, temperatures. Yeah. It's raining in Greenland. They've never had rain in Greenland. You know, Siberia is on fire. It's like, that's just the science. And that's what I mean by I trust the indigenous people. And how do I stay sane? Because I have to arrange myself in the belief that the reason I have incarnated now and taken on the role that I've been given, the reason so many change makers around the world have taken on what they've been given is because there is 
a chance. There is a chance. We can't see it because we don't have the mental capacity at the level of consciousness that we're at now to think past the mechanics of a world that we think we understand. Well, we don't understand the mechanics of the world, not really, and nor do we understand what it means to be a human being. So can I just clarify for, for people listening and finding, you know, mentions of Gaia and the feminine principle and all of this kind of thing probably a bit maybe much. new? Maybe new, yeah. Um, so the victim consciousness, you know, and, and as I say, you know, you've worn a lot of the storyline that you're now trying to share on your body. So the victim consciousness of a little girl who is at the mercy of her father um, it can make you stay there. You can live in fear or you can choose to live in love and love of planet. And you've made that transition. That's, from what I can gather, what you're saying humanity needs to go through. The victim consciousness is a space of fear. Consumption is a space of restriction and fear. And we we need to move into this next sort of, it's like I think you've referred to it as an evolutionary leap. Um, and... Yeah, I, I sort of, the Barbara story, I just want to go back to also, if you can just break down what she said to you, you need to get, was it intimate? Intimate. With the evolutionary impulse. impulse. What does that mean for you and what can it mean for the rest of us? I think the solutions to our world come through intimacy. Intimacy being the willingness to feel and the willingness to love to care, to feel that love, to feel that connection, to allow love of place, love of person, love of everything mm-hmm. to, to come in in such a way that if it's dying in front of you, you feel the heartbreak of that. And then that heartbreak, which is your love uh, made visible in a way, galvanizes you into action. Intimacy, lack of intimacy is what allows us to you know, do desperate things to all the animals on our planet. It's what allows us to do desperate things to the people on our planet and the forests of our planet and the oceans of our planet and just think, oh yeah, I just, I just want to eat that or I just want to buy that or I just want to, because there's no connection. It's a complete loss of intimacy. We, we're not in, we're not in fundamental relationship. The, the indigenous custodians of the Amazon are, they live inside a living forest of which they are a part they will put their lives on the line because there's no difference between their bodies and that forest. They understand that if the forest goes, it's all over for, it's for all of us. That's something that I, I think I've heard you talk about is that um, what we're doing at the moment and we've done for, for hundreds, thousands of years is we're consuming and we're using plastics and we're letting rivers be polluted and that that entails, for us to be able to do that, that entails not being able to see what we're abusing and I think you've or said... Or feel it. Yeah, or feel it, exactly. See being a way of, of feeling, being intimate, and that that represents a deep, deep pain in us. It's almost so painful we can't bear ourselves and so we run from the intimacy because we would have to see it. We would have to feel it. And the truth of it is so incredible incredibly, incredibly painful. But the point is it's an incongruence. I think, and I think people listening who come to this podcast are aware of an incongruence with the way we're meant to be feeling and living and connecting. We're not connected to that that truth. That pain is really real, isn't it? That disconnect. Pain is incredibly real. It's incredibly real. And I believe it's the root of consumption. 
because ultimately our natural state is belonging. It's profound belonging to a natural world of which we are a part, where we feel ourselves completely woven in. And I've had that experience. You know, I have had times in my life where through various circumstances, I've gone into a state of unity consciousness and I have felt my indivisibility. And in those moments, there is no insecurity. I can't even remember what insecurity feels like. Like it's a word that means nothing because I am so completely belonging and part of. You can't do power over. There's because there's just power with. You're just part of. It's extraordinary. Mm. And in that, you know, in the absence of that, why do we need to keep consuming? What, you know, what is it that drives us? What is it that drives us to alcohol? What is it that drives us to more stuff? Why does it need to be bigger and better and faster and everything all the time? Like what's the hole that we can't stop filling? And if we were woven into back into the matrix of life and felt completely at one, would we need to keep building bigger and bigger fortresses around ourselves to stay separate from everybody that we've been taught to fear? Because ultimately we fear ourselves. You know, what, what is it that we're running from that is causing the perpetuation of a behavior that we all know is insanity? Before I move on to the salve that is nature and trees, because we're heading that way naturally, um, I, I sort of in some ways feel that life is dealing us with the very thing that is going to take us away from that consumption. So we're getting these lessons and I think most people listening would be aware that, you know, just like you've been getting these very literal lessons like a male voice as you carry your car, (laughs) um, you know, telling you, hey, you're going to have to do something, get on board, fire up. Um, I mean, it's big, it, it feels surreal at the moment, whether we look at Trump, whether we look at COVID, these pandemics that are connecting us but then splintering us and there's this, this kind of this volatile space that we find ourselves in. And I think many of us are just like walking around bewildered. We can't quite fathom that it's all happening. But, I mean, I feel for myself that these things that are happening as well as stuff that's happening at my individual level are very much those wake-up calls. They're the, they're the mirror um, and, you know, getting a lesson. And, you know, it, it could potentially be the thing that takes us away from this victim consciousness, away from the consumption to that connection with ourselves. So I guess the question I'm asking is, is it all a gift? I think the very wise thing to do is to choose that it is. Yeah. You know, Ultimately, we get to choose how we use our mind and how we use our mind determines how useful we are in the world. If I look at what's going on, which I do, as vast social manipulation, as complete government neglect of people, especially the children, of indigenous people around the world, of anybody that's basically not white and male, of, you know, of the islands in the Pacific which are going underwater, of everything that's in the way of just making money at the greatest cost to the most people, you know, I can look at that and I can tell myself there's absolutely no hope. Get off, you know, like just, I don't know, dig a, dig a big hole and drop into it. And it, and, I, and it renders me completely useless. Like it renders me useless, ungrounded, disconnected, unable to hear. And, and when I'm useless and disconnected, then I become a walking to-do list that is nothing to do with deep, connected sense of what life is telling me to do so that I can show up 
and actually be the thing that I'm supposed to be. If I use my mind to say, okay, wow, look at this bizarre circumstance that I find myself in. The, the apparency is it's over, but actually, you know what? I'm not giving one iota of my life force to that particular outcome because I know that we create our reality. Therefore, I'm going to believe that between this, the remaining species on our planet that are still here, still waiting for us to wake up, between the wisdom of the trees, between everybody that is already awake and are, and are striving to create more awakeness, you know, between everybody that's just on the edge of awakeness that, that can hopefully be caught in the updraft of all of this, to, the, to, the, to Gaia herself, to the elemental beings, to the energies of the cosmos, to the vastness of life that does not want us to go out on shopping, that does not want us to trash this planet. If I log on to that, and if I make my purpose logging on to the bigger picture that I can trust, that I can say there is a wisdom in here, I don't have to understand it, but I need to, I need to align with it, then I can be useful, then I can listen, then I can bring my gifts. I remember a member of my staff just saying, Claire, you can't, you can't keep falling apart like this. You know, you it's can't victim model consciousness. It. Victim consciousness is really shit. It's a really boring way to live. And I think um, I am totally in agreement with you. It's a choice. And it's a choice if we're going to keep it in fundamental psychological terms to grow up. This is what... Yeah full embodied adulthood is meant to be about. I say this often, we've been in a suspended state of adolescence and that's what victim consciousness is. Oh, I understand consequences, but I'm just going to blame someone else and I'm going to go and ask the manager, you know, to fix it. And wait for daddy to save us, which is, which is what we're doing with all these leaders. And that to me is like, if we're going to be as socially manipulated as we are, divided, like, oh yeah, let's divide them. Then they're easier to manipulate. Okay, well that's great because we, you know, we are easier to manipulate. Now you can terrify us with with all these statistics about everything that's going to kill us, right? Okay, and every, I mean mm-hmm. it's just the whole setup is so manipulative. To me, it's like somewhere in there we have to become self-determining. Somewhere in there, there is the gateway to our own sovereignty, where we say, you know what, I'm not giving my power away anymore. You bow to love. Yeah, I, I, there there is something else inside me. To bow to love and then also to then also live a life where we can bear ourselves. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Now, look, I want to move on to the nature part of things and trees. We need to liven things up, I think, because, but although I find your message completely hopeful because it is a choice. We can either stay blaming, 
um, being polarised. Um, really, I'm bored of that. I want to fire things up. I want to inject a different way. It is time and I can feel it, you know, at, at a very deep visceral level. And the nature side of things, given that we're kind of clueless, we know nothing more than the capitalist model, the consumption model, the victim consciousness model, anyone who's alive on the planet today. And we wonder how we're going to be able to navigate all of this. And your answer, like quite a number of people, um, a growing number of people is is nature, is trees most specifically. And it's interesting, a lot of science and chat around the place at the moment is about the secret powers of trees. And they're not even that secret. Um, to communicate, to love. I mean, I've interviewed Peter Walben, the you know author of The Hidden Life of Trees. We've got the novel Overstory, lots of chat about fungi and how amazing it is and how they communicate with trees. Um, nature shows us who we are. It shows us our best selves. It's um, it's it's an ultimate teacher. Can you can you talk that through for people who find that maybe a little odd, a little bit esoteric, a bit woo woo? Can you break it down into sort of terms that most people might be able to relate to? I mean, at a at a ecological level, trees do stuff that can teach us stuff, right? Well, if I if I just very simply talk about a forest at the most basic level, you've got an uh an unconditionally loving community. You've got, a, you've got a community of trees, all of whom are intimately connected to each other. There is no single one tree in a forest. They're all connected by their roots and by the mycelial network that basically connects them. And the mycelial network is like, I think of it like a global brain. You know, I think of the trees, people think of trees as the lungs, but I think they're the heart, the brain, the immune system, the liver. Like they, what they do for us is so, is so vast and so complex and so important. This is why we simply cannot live without them. But they live in constant communication with each other. You know, the, the, the relationship between the trees themselves and the mycelium is this whole funneling of nutrients and of carbon, of nitrogen, of, of starch, like everything that's needed for everybody to, to function at their best. Like they're all helping each other out. But also the trees themselves, they understand that if one tree falls, then the wind can get in and it can start doing damage. So they don't want anybody, they don't want any one tree to be damaged. Therefore, they look out for each other because they understand, they understand what human beings don't, that if you take care of each other, then everybody benefits. If you make sure there's no one out on the street, everybody benefits. Like it's, you know, it's this, it's this uplifting everyone. So if there's a deciduous tree that is blocking out a coniferous tree while it's got leaves and it will feed carbon to the coniferous tree. If the, when, when that tree dumps its leaves, the coniferous tree is still producing, you know, it's still doing its thing. It'll give whatever it needs to, to the deciduous tree. Similarly, um, the birch trees in the coniferous forest, they carry the anti antibiotics inside them that actually that promote health. So what have they done? They've taken those you know, taken those trees out of the forest. They've made it all monoculture and the trees are dying. Why? Because the reciprocal relationship between all these trees that ensures that everybody's unique gifts that contribute to the health of all have been destroyed in our way of doing forestry. We're not supposed to be monoculture. Nothing is supposed to be monoculture because all species are designed to interact for them for the benefit of all. Now, when you think about it like that, if you imagine that being the model for humanity, it's so incredibly beautiful. It's there for us. How about you all start acting like one community that actually cares about each other? 
How would our world be if we operated in the way that trees do? It also explains in a way which I think our, our generation, current generations, really struggle to understand the idea of looking after the weakest link. Because the weakest link might just be the tree that's lost its leaves for a bit. And of course, if you look after it, it's the, then the tree that produces fresh leaves in spring, which then provides a whole heap of other benefits to the so-called stronger links. Um, there's an understanding of this symbiosis where there's the weakest link becomes the strongest link that looks after you when you're the weakest link. And, you know, if we think about the COVID um, situation, that is the debate. That's the discussion we need to be having. A lot of what we're doing is to look after the so-called weaker links, the frail, the elderly, children and so on. Um, and we struggle with that conversation. Um, I, let me see, it was probably almost a year ago I was catching a train back to see my family and I was passing through an area that had been completely decimated by the bushfires and I just saw these trees as the train was sort of going through slowly through this section and I, I weeped and I know that we have that in common as well. I find nature can actually make me cry in a way that very little else can make me cry and it's the recognition um, of, it's the perfect mirror. It's the mirror back at us, but also I can feel deeply. I, I mean, I found myself on the train going, I'm so sorry. I'm so deeply sorry. And I'm not a woo-woo kind of person, but in nature I definitely feel that connection. Um, for you, you talk about crying a bit. I know that you cry. Tell me what that relationship to crime when we're talking about nature, tell me about, about that. It is my coping mechanism because I've made a commitment to stay in contact. I've made a commitment not to dissociate because if I dissociate, then I'm just another number. I'm just another human being able to walk past complete destruction and act like it's normal. And that isn't a human being to me. That's a partial human being. And that's not, I'm not trying to be derogatory when I say that. What I mean by that is you're not having the full human experience. So crying to me, crying to me is the gateway to my power. It's the gateway to my creativity. If I let myself grieve properly, then on the other side of it, there's always an idea or a concept. Yeah. And I'm that much more grounded and I'm that much more in touch with the thing that it is that I'm fighting for. Yeah, it, it connects you. It completely bring, brings you into congruence. Brings me home, mm. yeah. Yeah. Can I just ask, what for, for anyone listening, what are some ways that they can actually connect with nature, enable or allow nature to, going back to the wild idea that I flagged from the beginning, no one's going to come and save us, we can't be victims anymore, but trees might just be able to. What are some things that people can do that can connect them with the power of trees or nature more broadly, that can help them to access the space that sees them go into radical hope and, 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 and action? Well, there's the inner and the outer response to that. You know, the inner response being deep in your relationship, the outer response being help me reforest the planet, you know, like get more trees in the ground. So the inner response... Um, you know, when you sit with somebody and you give them your full presence, like if I sit here and I give you my full presence and 
something starts to happen because there's a current that arises when you've got two highly present people. There's this third thing that arises that is the current of relationship out of which something else emerges. Like when somebody really, really listens to you and you find yourself speaking in a way that you've never spoken before. Yeah. There's a, there's a way, yeah, there's a way that you can be with trees where you can, first of all, just switch off the part of your mind that goes, oh, it's a tree because you've no idea what a tree is and you've no idea who that tree is either. But if you sit and you open the whole surface of your body and you soft gaze and you make yourself available and you act like there's this enormous being there who's been aware of you all this time and you've no idea, you know, how to be aware of them, but you, you let yourself be a mystery. You don't know what a human is. You don't know what the tree is and you soften your body and you make yourself available. Then you can basically bow, say hello, say, I'm sorry that I've been basically ignoring you for, you know, if you're somebody that has never really bonded with trees for, for your whole life and then just make yourself available. And you can start by just saying, thank you. Like just start by just saying, thank you. Thank you for the million and one things that trees have given me. You know, think of your life without wood. Think of your life without paper. Think of your life without air. Think of your life without weather, without rain, all the things that trees give us, you know, just start by saying, thank you. It's an amazing practice to practice gratitude it's one of those things that connects you to your heart and then plugs you back in. So every meal that you have, look at the food that you've got. How many people have been involved in that? You know, do you thank the rain and the sun and the soil and the seed? You know, because if you do, then you're, you're building an energetic relationship to that food that's going to mean that when you eat it, it's much more easy to digest because you're already in an energetic relationship with it. So it's, a, it's this shift of perspective away from just seeing with your eyes everything and dealing with the world the way we've been taught to realizing that there is a form of subtle relationship born of deepest intimacy mm. where, where going around and acknowledging that you don't know and being tender and being gentle and being aware that there are conscious beings out there and then making your consciousness available to them, you'd be surprised what can happen. So ceremony, ritual, and then open your wallet. Yep. Open your wallet and think, okay, nature has given me absolutely everything and she's on the chopping board. What am I prepared at this point to start giving back to ensure that my children or my grandchildren have a hope in hell? Okay. Because we can plant trees all around the tropics for you at an extremely low cost. And that is a way that you can make a measurable difference every single month. Every single month, you will know that you're planting in the Amazonian rainforest of Brazil, the Atlantic rainforest of Brazil, but Mount Kenya, the coast of, of Mozambique, Madagascar, um, Nepal, India, West Papua, Borneo, astonishing projects that have, you know, extraordinary, beautiful social benefit, ecological benefit, benefit to each of us. They're not just over there. We cannot survive without the tropical rainforest of our world. The only reason we have temperate climate is because of what the tropical forests do to cool our world at the hottest band of her body, where she's brilliantly used that heat to generate cooling and rain creation. You know, it's like, we're here because that's there and we're stripping that. Therefore, if we put our attention and our money and our funding and our businesses and whatever engines we've got of, of creating a flow of resourcing to those forests, we give ourselves more of a chance. You call yourself an edge walker and I talk about going to my edge. I am drawn to it. Um, Pima Chodron says, 
you know, the edge is where we're meant to be. That's when we come fully online, when we're just a little bit scared, but we have to use all of our faculties. And I talk about fending. It makes us become really human in that we've got to ebb and flow with what's going on. And in fact, I use a metaphor of a tree to explain going to your edge. You can either live at the trunk, hanging on to it, and, you know, there's lots of familiar faces around you and it's all nice and cosy and protected. But the edge is where we need to be. We go out to the outer limbs where we need to use all our sort of core strength and agility to move with the the branches, but it's out there we can see where it all fits in. Otherwise, we just think we're just a sort of a dark morass of people hanging onto a tree, a tree trunk out on the outer limbs. Anyway, metaphors can go on forever. But um, I know that, you know, you have been responsible for funding the planting of up to 20 million trees around the tropics. Not me. I didn't do it. Well, the people that you have inspired have done that. (laughs) Um, But more than that, more than that 20 million get destroyed daily around the world. Have I got that right? Between 14 and 14 million trees a day. Okay. So some people might see that as quite dispiriting. (laughs) Like, um, you know, you've been working on this project for a number of years. Um, They might find this dispiriting. Um, So what do you get from it? What is the thing that still keeps you going, going, I know this is what I'm meant to be doing. This is the right thing to be doing. This will be the change maker. I don't know that this will be the change maker. What I know is I can only live with myself if I am a change maker. I only know, regardless of outcome, I am so pissed off. We're only at 20 million trees. Other people look at us and go, oh my God, 20 million trees, that's amazing. And I'm like, we're not even scratching the ass of this thing, you know. If you really understand the science, if you really know where we're going, and yet that's 20 million more trees than there would have been if we hadn't done something. And 20 million trees is not nothing. And more importantly, it's all the people that have contributed to that that know that they've made a difference. And it's the people that they're touching. And it's the people on the ground who have experienced the support coming in, that they're cared enough, that we want to help them restore their environment. And it's the species that are still here because of those environments. So you have a choice where you put your mind. You have a choice how you perceive. You know, I I would be lying if I said I perceived what we've done as a huge success, but I also know that it is a success because I walked into this job with no experience whatsoever, none, nothing apart from a broken heart. That was all I brought to the table and a willingness to have a go. And I didn't want to have a go. You know, it's been excruciating. I have gone through every shame. Well, I won't say that because I'm going to touch wood. Life will do the next thing. I've gone through so many deaths in myself of the, of, the, of the things that I have hidden behind and cloaked myself and the excuses that I've got and the bullshit that I tell myself and all the reasons why to stay small. And at the end of the day, if all I get to do is live the sort of life where I say, you know what, I'm not held back by what people think of me anymore. I'm not. I don't care what people think about me. Not really. What I care about is what I think about me. And I need to know that I am doing everything for the world's children. I didn't have children because I couldn't handle bringing them into the world that we've got. But my God, I cannot handle what we're handing them. So this life, this outspokenness, this courage that I have is for them. It's because when they turn to me and say, why are my parents not doing anything and they're crying? You know, I can say some of us adults have put our lives on the line and we will do it till our last breath for you. And that means I can look them in the eye. 
you know, that's why I'm doing this because they matter and the children of every other species matter. And whether I manage to do something extraordinary, half-hearted or whatever, doesn't matter. What matters is that I'm trying. And that's my message to everybody. That is the message. Surely it's broader than that because you're wanting it to be contagious you're, because we have a chance of saving this if there's an exponential movement where we're all contributing to 20 million trees. We're all inspiring people, you know, to, to, to create 20 million, 20 million, 20 million daily. A trillion, combat. a trillion trees. We need a trillion trees. We need more than a trillion trees. And we could do it if every single person on this planet realised that we're not just here to take, we're here to give back. And that giving back is a privilege because none of us would treat our mother the way we're treating our mother. None of us. Yeah. And giving back, you know, giving back puts you into connection with the life force that helps remind us who we are. So you get to belong again. You know, you get to care deeply. You get to feel part of it. You get to feel part of the solution. So I want, you know, ultimately what I'm working towards, every business, every financial transaction. I don't want us to be able to do anything without there being a tree embedded in so that you cannot take without giving back. So I'm calling to every business leader that's out there that's listening to this or every person in a business who can go to your business leader and say, can we embed trees in our products and services? Can we embed trees in our benefits? If we're at school, can we raise funds for trees? If we're at home, if you're self-employed, can you embed trees? If we're doing gatherings, can we have trees and tickets? Like, can we see a world where you can't turn around without somehow a tree being generated? You know, a tree with tree sisters is 40 pence. 40 pence. There's no excuse. You can grow a forest every month and you can watch it grow. You know, it's like, this is, this is a no brainer. Like people act as if we were somehow helpless and we just have to keep going and maybe our recycling will help us. You know, it'll save us. It's not going to, but if you start saying, what's the most I can give every month and you watch this forest grow, you will feel different and the world will change. I think the the trees at 40 pence each is only one part of it. I think from what I gather from you is it's also the engagement in, you know, that intimacy with the evolutionary impulse and that is to care, right? I mean, that's the more important aspect of it. It doesn't matter, of course it matters about the trees, but the point is engage back at that level of care. And I I experience this, I think, daily and I imagine you would too, I have people that come up to me and go, oh, gosh, you know, um, what are we meant to do? Everything's terrible. Um, what should I do? Or I also get this. I'm so glad you're doing something, Sarah. I had this this morning. I went and took my, you know, my reusable cup to the coffee shop in COVID. I know that there's about five select cafes that will take my cup. And people say, oh, you know, with their disposable cup, they said to me, this guy said to me, oh, I'm so glad you do it for the rest of us. And, of course, I, I've had that comment made a few times. There's this idea that everyone's glad there's somebody else out there doing something, right? You know, oh, Claire's off planting trees. Oh, thank God for that, you know. I've had that numerous times. Oh, thank God you're doing it so I don't have to. And I'm like, you don't have to? Really? You think you're off the hook? You think you're off the hook? You know, this is not a spectator sport. Get off the bench. Yeah. And I've got, I want to finish off, I've got a quote that is one of my favourites and I think... I would like you to do almost like a coach-like rally call for people to get off the bench off the back of this quote. So Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, made the famous call, would you want to sleep through the revolution? So after you've had all the discussions in the world about hope and activism and all of this kind of thing, the point is, would you want to be asleep 
through this incredible evolutionary leap, as you call it, this incredible shift to a point where we might be able to actually bear ourselves. Now, what would you say to get people off that bench and engaged and wide awake during this revolution? Because I find it exciting. I am so excited about the solutions that are ahead of us and the kind of person I can become while being engaged in it. Absolutely. I'm there with you. You know, I think many of us actually long for intensity in our lives. We want the intensely good feelings. We want to feel fully alive. And what happens is if we block ourselves off from the bad stuff, if we just say, oh, I can't turn towards that, I can't turn towards that, I can't turn towards that, your pendulum the pendulum that you are that swings to the shadow, you only let it go that far. Well, then by the law of dynamics, if you only go that far into your shadow, you can only go that far into your joy. So if you want a spontaneous, incredible, creative, passionate, outrageous life, then you're going to have to do better than just go, no, I'm in denial and I'm not going to let myself feel this. So yes, it involves swinging into the reality of the sixth mass extinction. It it involves swinging into the genuinely not knowing whether we're going to get through. It involves genuinely looking at the fact that you have not cared and you have not felt and you have gone along with it and you've given your power away and all of that stuff and, and facing that and then realizing when you hit your grief and you let yourself feel it, that you can swing into this vastly amazing, fully alive experience of yourself that will not take it sitting down anymore and that is up for discovering what the hell it is that we're made of. And that means the intense joy, relief, privilege, creativity, aliveness that that becomes part of your everyday experience. You know, why would you not want that vivid life, that life brilliantly lived? You know, that is what's, you know, I keep saying to people, Climate change is the gauntlet that we have created to lay down to ourselves to say, are you going to discover what you're made of? Denial is not an option. You know, it's not a river in Egypt and it's not an option. Like if you are going to stay in denial, you are missing the greatest opportunity we have to turn ourselves as a species around. Just because we can't see how we're going to do it doesn't mean that the path isn't encoded in us somewhere and that it's through our bodies and our genius and our willingness to open to possibility that it can come. We have to birth it. You don't see what the baby is before it's out. We don't know what it is that we're about to birth, but it cannot be an extension of where we're going. It has to be a values-based regenerative world that holds space for everybody. It needs to be human being made forest human being prepared to care for everybody, to nourish everybody, to bring our gifts, to live totally. A tree does not half-heartedly drop its leaves. It does not half-heartedly go into fruit. It gives it all. It does it totally. That's the invitation from nature. Live fully. Discover what you are as a human being. Be outrageous. We're not born to be polite and appropriate. There's nothing appropriate about a woman, you know, there barely anything appropriate about a man, but for God's sake, let's take off our brakes and discover what we're made of. Now is the time. Now, right now, now, absolutely now. Yeah, let's take off the brakes. Um, and I think, you know, nature, trees, is the best teacher until we get the hang of it, until we get the hang of being ourselves once again. Cool the world. Cool the world, be cooling the world, be restoring the world. Get on that train of restoration whilst you figure out who you are and what your gifts are. Just start, start giving back. 
treesisters.org forward slash give. There it is. We'll do it for you. We are brilliant at doing that. Let us do it for you. Let us make it easy for you. I'll put that link in the show notes. Claire Dubois, thank you so much. Thank you for your effervescence. Thank you for being intimate with the the evolutionary impulse um, on our (laughs) behalf so that we can then learn how to do it ourselves. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for... uh... Thank you for an outrageous ride and for so much bloody research. Good grief. (laughs) That was a lot to take in um, or to feel into more to the point. I took notes throughout um, my chat with Claire and there were a few highlights or take-homes which really struck me. We long for intensity, like we actually crave it. So the invite is to be an edge walker, which is how she describes herself in her bio on her website, because the alternative, and she mentions this at some point in our chat, the alternative is to be a walking to-do list. The other thing she says is that climate change can show us what we are made of, what it is to be fully human. That's what's going on right now, and this comes up a lot in this podcast series. She recommends sitting before a tree or under a tree to get intimate with the evolutionary impulse, just to feel it and to not know what the tree is, but to know that it is a being. And that enables us to be our full self. Treat life as an experiment. She said that at the very beginning of our chat. Treat life as an experiment because you can't fail an experiment. You just stay in a space of trying continually going to your edge. But it's the image of the pendulum right at the end that really stayed with me. And it's this idea that, you know, if you put the brakes on, the pendulum's swinging out into fear and pain and and all the stuff that we're scared of, particularly in the face of the pandemic, the climate crisis and so on, then equally it stops that pendulum swinging back the other way into full throttle excitement and intensity and joy. And that's the choice we can make. Me, uh, I choose not to put the brakes on because I do not see the point. And especially at the moment, because I know that what this is all about is firing up, firing up into my full humanness so that I can live the, the most wild version of this precious life. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.